Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. So you want your charity to succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success. And practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect place to learn from experts around the world who, along with our host, provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books cover a broad range of topics from major gift fundraising to use of social media and how to succeed online. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you maneuver through this economic downturn in the charitable sector to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. Remember, this is a live call-in show. Become part of the show by adding your voice. Call now at 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Just click on radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here live to this latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. This is Tuesday, October 16th, and I'm coming to you live from the national headquarters of the Charities Aid Foundation of America. For those of you who are familiar with the show, you know, as the announcer just shared with you, that you can call in and ask questions of our page two expert. We've got an excellent show for you today. You can also join us over in the chat room. I see folks over in the chat room right now. You can ask questions there, or you can email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always here on The Nonprofit Coach, we always start with page one news. You can follow along with the radio links by going to tedhart.com and click on radio links. First up here on the nonprofit coach today comes to us from Marketing Sherpa. Excellent five steps to improve your email newsletter coming to us from uh, Marketing Sherpa, starting with creating uh, a care mentality for those who have uh, given you their email address, personalizing the content. Um, they're giving you specific examples of what they mean for each of the steps in the five steps for success. Use newsletters to nurture brand advocates. So you want to make sure that, as we've talked about on this show, those who are your Aunt Mabels, who are your mass influencers, need to be a top priority for your social media and your email outbound. Uh, design for mobile, let's face it, right now, uh, as uh, Nielsen statistics show that 49.7% of U.S. mobile subscribers own smartphones, and that is growing daily. Make sure that you are preparing your content for the new mobile world. Uh, step number five is to test to learn about your customers. Make sure that as you're putting your content together, you're not making decisions for those who support your organization, but instead you are learning from them what they're looking for. Here on the Nonprofit Coach, we always want to bring you the latest of important information, but also some fun information about the use of the Internet. Over on Mashable social media, uh, I don't know if you caught this. I don't know how what rock you were living under if you did not catch the fact uh, that there was a space jump that just took place, uh, and this was uh, Felix Baumgartner's Red Bull Stratosphere uh, space jump uh, to uh, set a, uh, a world record. Um, he not only set a world record, but also set an Internet record. More than 7.1 million people tuned in to watch the live video of the jump on YouTube. This was not only a record, but it was a record by a factor of 10. Uh, the prior uh, live viewing record on YouTube had been set by the London Summer Olympic Games when just 
500,000 people concurrently tuned in for live video. So uh, this space jump was an enormous success on the Internet, uh, and thankfully it was successful, and he came back to Earth uh, live. More than 7.1 million people uh, tuned in for that live jump. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, it's always a pleasure uh, to welcome friends back here to the Nonprofit Coach. It's my pleasure to welcome Mark Sutton from Artez uh, Interactive, longtime friend here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, guest, a page two guest uh, several times here on the show, always popular. Uh, but Mark, welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach. You've got a big event going on uh, in Toronto, and we wanted to make sure that you had an opportunity to tell all of our listeners about it. Hey, Ted. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's good to be back on uh, with, with you. And, yeah, you, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, Artez uh, Interactive does an annual conference. Uh, it's based in Toronto. And this is indeed the week. So uh, Artez Interaction is the name of the conference. Uh, and it's happening on Thursday in, in Toronto. And it's uh, it's exciting because it gets, it gets bigger uh, and, I think, more exciting each and every year. And I think that this year we've got uh, a lot of terrific speakers, uh, representing uh, uh, not only practitioners and nonprofits who are doing pretty exciting things in the uh, in, in the world of fundraising, and uh, you know, we're seeing much more use of, of digital, mobile, social, but also a lot of uh, uh, more uh, you know for-profit organizations that are helping. Uh, some of the speakers are from uh, from Google, from Facebook, from the Huffington Post. Uh, we also have uh, nonprofits that are doing some pretty incredible things, and they're going to be sharing case studies and best practices, Sick Kids and the Leukemia Foundation of Australia. Uh, yeah, well, go uh, ahead and uh, give us a, a preview of our uh, Page 2 expert today. Uh, Dave Sims will be here uh, joining us in just a few moments on Page 2. Uh, he is not only a global expert in online fundraising and uh, special event uh, management, but he is right there at the Artes Interactive uh, conference. So just uh, tell us, why did you choose Dave Sims to uh, be one of your key speakers? Absolutely. So so Dave Sims uh, from the Leukemia Foundation of Australia is, uh, is, is here. He's going to be speaking at the conference. And Dave uh, is, is, is a practitioner uh, who has really, uh, he's also a, a pioneer in the, in the, the realm of uh, peer-to-peer fundraising and, and, and event-based fundraising. He has been uh, you know, jumped in with the online component of things uh, a number of years back and has uh, been doing some very uh, interesting things with growing that, that event via the use of various uh, online uh, mobile social components. And has a pretty methodical approach to how he how he approaches things and how he grows has grown uh what is already a very uh large and successful event and continues to generate growth from a large event and uh I think has some refreshing insights and some interesting approaches for anybody out there that is looking to do the same. Well we're thrilled to have uh, Dave as our page two expert and those insights uh for all of our listeners are going to be uh, very powerful today uh on page two. Um, in my mind, there's really uh, two big events that nonprofits who are interested in success online have to attend uh, in Toronto uh, in the fall. It's the uh, Artes Interactive Conference, and in the spring, uh, it's the Digital Leap Conference, which uh, we're very appreciative that you're uh, uh, always involved with in a big way. Uh, those kind of become bookend opportunities for people to really put together their strategy, test their strategy, and stay on top of what's working. Uh, would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, we, you know, we're we're big supporters, as you as you said, of uh, d- digital leap, and it's just it's one of those spaces where there's so much happening so quickly, and you know, it's it's always good to take a little time away to see what others are doing, to think about what you might be doing, and also to learn what what's going on because a lot happens in six months. So I would absolutely agree with that. Terrific. Well, uh, Mark Sutton, uh, CEO of Artes Interactive. Good luck. Uh, with uh, your conference. It's uh, been quite a big success for a number of years. Uh, No doubt you've got a terrific lineup uh, for everyone who is smart enough to be able to uh, attend Artez. Uh, For folks who might be interested in signing up, is there still room, and how would they uh, be able to connect with Artez Interactive this year? Um, Yeah, there is. It's going to be quite a full event, but there are um, a few few seats left. Um, You can find out more about the event and register if you'd like to attend on Thursday uh, by going to artez.com, and that's A-R-T-E-Z.com. And from there, you can follow the link to see the uh, agenda and go through the registration process. 
Terrific. Uh, Mark Sutton, thank you for joining us again uh, here on the Nonprofit Coach, and good luck up there uh, in Toronto. Uh, Back here on uh, page one news, you'll find this by following along in the radio links today uh, at tedhart.com. We want to just remind you of the importance of TechSoup. Uh, TechSoup is a terrific website. You can go to TechSoup.org, which you will find over in the radio links today. And we just want to remind all nonprofit organizations that they should register with TechSoup. Uh, This is an excellent opportunity for you to be able to uh, receive donated software, update all the software that your organization uh, needs for literally pennies on the dollar. Uh, You want to make sure that you are registered and qualified, and then they'll walk you through the process uh, each of the companies that donate uh, uh, their software, and we're talking about everyone from uh, Microsoft to Adobe uh, uh, to QuickBooks that uh, Intuit over on uh, on uh, uh, TechSoup. So, uh, but each one has uh, their different rules and what they're looking for, who they'll support. Uh, so you want to make sure you stay on top of that. Those do often change, uh, so you want to make sure that you go to TedHart.com, click on Radio Links, and you will find how to use TechSoup. Uh, next up here on the nonprofit coach, I have to say it. You know, it takes a lot to be among the very best. And here on the nonprofit coach, we bring you the very best uh, in the nonprofit world on a variety of different topics. Uh, but rarely has someone moved to the top of the class as quickly as Ken Berger over at uh, Charity Navigator. Ken Berger is with us today. He's president and CEO of Charity Navigator. Uh, Ken, we for a number of uh, uh, a couple of years had uh, a small group of people that were at the top uh, in the top ten of all-time favorite shows uh, episodes of the Nonprofit Coach, uh, and then you and I uh, got together on the show on April 17th of this year uh, to talk about the 10th anniversary of uh, Charity Navigator to not only celebrate that but to talk about uh, Charity Navigator 2.0, and that episode uh, almost overnight went to the top of the class. You are now the number one most popular show in the history of the Nonprofit Coach, your podcast and episode. Welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach. And, and I'm just going to start off, Ken, and just ask you, why is your topic so popular and so important to our nonprofit listeners? Well, I, I think uh, it's very heartening to hear that, and I'm, I'm humbled by it. And uh, it, I think it, it, it reflects the fact, though, that, Charity Navigator is now probably the largest rater of charities in the world, and we influence billions of dollars in charitable gifts each year. And so I think that charities are increasingly interested to know what are the standards, what are where we're headed, because that four-star seal that we provide free to charities that, that achieve that four-star rating uh, can see substantial increases in the funds they receive from donors. It really is uh, an important service uh, that you provide, and increasingly uh, it is controversial in the nonprofit sector, but increasingly important to donors. Um, how do you balance the, the criticism to the strength of what you're trying to build? And, and I know that you've, uh, you've tried to deal with some of that criticism by moving uh, your platform towards uh, what I think you refer to in the podcast of April 17th, CN 2.0. Yeah, I mean, I think the nature of our mission, which is to serve donors and to provide an evaluation of charities where we make a judgment, uh, and as a result you have, you know, those that go get, go from uh, good to bad, by its nature we are always, I think, going to have some who appreciate the work and some who are not so happy about the work. It really is to some degree the nature of who we are as a watchdog and a, and a, and a reviewer. But at the same time, we, we really are trying our best to listen and to, and to hear when there is constructive criticism and feedback. And so we now have an advisory panel of almost 30 members that include some nonprofit leaders and experts and people from academia. And then in addition to that, we have a number of charities that we dialogue with as we go forward and continue to make changes to the rating system. Uh, you know, one of the things that we saw when we, we implemented CN 2.0 <clears throat> last year, uh, when now a year later, 40% of the charities have made changes to standards uh, that uh, are now being uh, required through Charity Navigator. So it really is leveraging some change, and we think positive change, because a lot of our standards are based on the work of the independent sector and many others. So we stand on the shoulders of 
a lot of uh, collective work that has been done in the sector over the years on what are the qualities of a high-performing nonprofit. What's not, what feedback did you get from that show? I mean, the, the numbers just skyrocketed, so I, I can't imagine that there, that there weren't people that were connecting with you after, uh, after that episode. Did, did people feel that they learned something new about uh, Charity Navigator, or was it uh, uh, just a convenient way to get caught up? People continue, continue to be surprised by the fact that um, we are changing. Uh, we're now working on CN 3.0, and they're still back at CN 1.0. So people continue to be surprised that we're not just looking at finances, and even that within our look at finances, we're considering changes to how we look at uh, overhead and other matters. So uh, that's one of the responses we got. And in addition to that, uh, charities interested in being uh, on our website because they know, again, that it can uh, lead to substantial increases in, in donors giving to their charities if they do well in our rating system. Yeah. No, and, and what, what is that connection? Uh, have you been able to, to draw a direct connection, or, is, or do you just feel that the feedback from donors uh, say that, uh, that this is a, an, an important way for for them to learn about charities. Well, you know, one of the uh, some research that was done on donors that I recommend to people by Hope Consulting called Money for Good, it's the first survey of its kind in about 15 years, shows that when donors are asked what matters most to them, they indicate as the highest ranking the effectiveness of charities, their, their effectiveness. It's more important than overhead or any of the other things that we often think of. And the challenge for a lot of donors is that for most charities, there's very little publicly reported information on results, particularly outcomes. And so um, we think that uh, – so as we talk to donors and tell them that we're moving in this direction of beginning to measure the quality of how a charity reports on its results, we are getting more donations, more support from our users than ever. So at least anecdotally, in that way, we're getting a lot of high fives and encouragement to keep moving down this road. Right. Now, but, but you also only uh, review a small segment of the overall nonprofit population in the United States. Um, what about those charities that, that cannot benefit from having such a rating? Well, three, three points on that. The first is that the roughly 6,000 charities that we re review today garner roughly 50% of all private contributions made in the United States each year. The second is that we've set a goal within the next few years to go to 10,000. When we get there, it's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of almost three-quarters of where all private contributions go. But the third thing that we're planning to do that I think more directly answers your question is that we've set a goal within the next year to place every single U.S. registered nonprofit in America on our website even if we don't rate them, and begin to provide tips, tools, uh, links to write your own review, uh, news, and a whole host of other things, as well as voting on what is the next charity we will rate, so that it will become a place where every single charity will at least have a footprint, and uh, and you know moving even further in their, that direction. And then we have a longer-term goal that someday we want to create a core of volunteers, a wiki-style kind of process where volunteers can help us to rate far more charities so that we can really ramp up to an even larger degree uh, than we are today. Well, you're, as, uh, as I mentioned before, congratulations on being the number one uh, rated uh, show here on The Nonprofit Coach and moving there so quickly uh, from uh, the show that just took place earlier this year. Um, is really quite a feather, not only in your cap, but I think an indication of, of how much interest there is in the topic of Charity Navigator uh, and the work that uh, the two folks uh, that you folks do. Um, well, very can quickly, I, I uh, wanna... Ken, um, for listeners today, if they wanted to be in contact with you, if they wanted to uh, to reach out to you, we did provide a link uh, to Charity Navigator over in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Um, any, any other information than just directing people to your website? Well, I just I, I do want to say that my aspiration is that your radio show as well as our website will someday at least get as many views as the Space Jump, and we're getting close. <laughs> wow, we're that, would, get that would be really quite. It's not amazing. <laughs> uh, Seven point one million when the uh, the record was five hundred thousand. So, uh, we're getting, it's pr we're getting, proof that uh, you're in good company. That you uh, came from the back of the pack to uh, to number one. Thanks a lot, Ted. 
Um, but well, you know, again, congratulations on being and, number and, one, and, and thank you for coming back here on the Nonprofit Coach. Give us an opportunity to touch base with you again. That is Ken Berger, uh, President and CEO uh, over at Charity Navigator. Uh, it is now time for us to move over uh, to page two. My pleasure to welcome here to uh, page two, our page two expert here on the nonprofit coach, Dave Sims, is the general manager of events and community relations at the Leukemia Foundation in Australia. Dave emigrated to Australia in 1995 after a career with the BBC and commercial radio in the United Kingdom. He's worked for several charities, children's charities, and for the last nine years, He's been the National General Manager for the Leukemia Foundation of Australia. Now, Dave has a uh, $20 million target each year for fundraising events. Uh, so it's big business uh, for the Leukemia Foundation. Uh, and they, this is only uh, the only national not-for-profit dedicated to helping Australians with blood cancers uh, in Australia. Their mission is to care uh, means that they provide free support for patients and their families during their long and tough treatment. Uh, they have a vision of curing uh, these diseases, these blood cancers um, in Australia, and obviously their work benefits around the world. Uh, Dave Sims, welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach. Thanks, Ted. Now, Dave, we've got a lot that we want to talk to you uh, about today. I'm, I'm going to start off just uh, picking up on uh, where Mark Sutton uh, left off uh, earlier um, when he sort of introduced you. Um, you're a big deal in the online um, special events uh, space. Um, start off by telling us why you think you're at Artez Interactive. Um, I think one of the things that we did was we made a, a few bold decisions with our, our big event, um, which is called the World's Greatest Shave, where people get sponsored to shave their hair to raise funds for us. Um, and we could tell from this event that um, it had got potential. It had started at the community level with people wanting to shave their head in, in support of a friend who'd got a cancer, and we just knew that it had, it had got legs. So we made some quite bold decisions, and I think that's been the, the secret of, of our success. And I suppose one of the things I'm going to talk about at the, at the conference is uh, about, about being bold and making some decisions and putting your money where your mouth is, but also doing it um, with a certain amount of caution, like you haven't got to do everything at once. I'm hearing at the, uh, at the moment quite a lot of pressure about you've got to do online, you've got to do mobile, you've got to do Facebook, you've got to do Twitter, you've got to do all these things. And it can be a bit overwhelming. And I suppose the lesson that I've learned in the last five years is you can still be bold and just do things well and do them sort of one thing at a time. You haven't got to do everything at once. And I suppose that's going to be my message. And I've certainly got the, the figures to prove it. We, we started off with the event raising just a few thousand dollars. Well, um, this year we raised $18.4 million in Australia, um, which is 81 cents per head of population because we're, we're not a big country. Um, and I suppose if you were to translate that into the United States, you're talking about an event raising $242 million if you did it in the United States. That's what $0.81 cents per head is, is worth. So for us, it's, it's big business. So I suppose we've, um, we've got the runs on the board. Yeah, and, and I think that's, uh, that's a significant message here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, that, that's very consistent with our message here is that while social media is important and we're known for bringing the very best updated information on how nonprofits can succeed online, our message is not that all roads lead to social media. That's actually the integration of online and offline, uh, that there needs to be a prioritization of what you're doing online that starts with a well-designed website, and, and the, in fact, Facebook is pretty far down uh, the list. Not inconsequential. It is growing, but it is not the number one strategy for success online. It sounds like you agree with that assessment. Yeah, I mean, we use Facebook. Um, we've only just started that doing that very recently. I mean, our, our, our main aim when we first decided we wanted to go online was we, we saw the potential um, for online, um, not just of raising money, but also helping us to be more effective with, with very small resources. We don't have a big team of people, and we wanted to use 
technical online tools to, to help us be more effective w without having to employ hundreds and, and, and thousands of people. So we, we use online to, to not only save resources but also to make money. But you're right, it's the, it's the website that's been the key, the absolute key. Uh, and really we made the first step towards doing a, a website and refining that um, as we've gone. And it's really only very recently, like in the last year, that we decided to um, involve Facebook very much. And even so, we still use Facebook more as an uh, advertising medium. It's part of our advertising strategy. Uh, we try and create buzz with Facebook. We try and get people excited and, and, and communicating with the campaign. But we're not using it as a direct uh, appeal for funds at all. I mean, that's still to be proven to me. Um, but certainly as a way of getting some excitement out there as part of our, our advertising strategy, um, it seems to have, um, have done a lot of work. But, but we're, we're doing it in amongst online advertising. Uh, we do a lot of that now. Um, and our advertising, we reached uh, over 2 million people on, online with our online advertising um, last year. But that was using search engine marketing, YouTube, um, display ads on tablets and on mobile devices, so not, not just Facebook. Well, I, I have to... Uh... I, I have to ask you a question because I do want to uh, uh, move on to specifically talking about the world's greatest uh, shave, um, a huge event uh, in Australia, and just sort of a little bit uh, uh, tongue-in-cheek here, but I'm just wondering uh, if you can reflect on Australians' uh, fascination with hair. Uh, because when I hear about the world's greatest shave coming from Australia, it also reminds me of, uh, of another guest that we've had here on the nonprofit coach, and that's the, the folks from Movember, uh, yeah. also uh, started in, uh, in uh, Australia. And I'm just wondering, you know, one event has you uh, growing hair, uh, the other has you shaving hair. Is, is this just a fascination that Australians have? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I think what, <laughs> I think what works with them um, – both, and it's a bit of a, a thing with me that I think event fundraising works well when there is some sort of connection with the event and the fun you have with, with the actual cause. You know, the reason the world's greatest shave works is because people lose their hair when they get treated for blood cancer. So while there's a lot of fun and we raise most of our money by people saying, I would love to see you with no hair and everyone having a, a good laugh at you for a short time, there is also the serious side of it that that people do also empathize with, with you about what it's like to lose your hair when you're being treated for, uh, for cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think in the, in the same way, Movember works really well because it's for men's causes and growing a mustache is something only a man can do. So right. again, right. There's, a, there's a great so, so, connection. So it, it, it ties in very well. So is that, as you said, is, for all the listeners today who are, you know, uh, either, first of all, thinking, how can I just copy this? But, but I don't think that's your message, to just go out and copy what someone else is doing, but to find something clever that connects people to something that they might not otherwise be connected to. Yeah, absolutely. I, I suppose one of the things we do in Australia well, and I, and I don't know how well this works in, in, uh, in North America, but you know, it's this idea of, of doing something that is fun, for a serious cause, and that certainly taps into the Australian psyche. So it doesn't really matter what it is, but if you're doing something fun for something serious, you can have fun. You can, it's easier to ask somebody to give you money for something that's fun. Uh, we promote our World's Greatest Shave event in a fun way, and then we engage them with what the money is being used for and the seriousness of the cause once we've got them hooked. And I think that works hand in glove with this idea that the, the event itself has to be, as you say, clever and, and have some connection so that you understand why you're doing it. I'm shaving my head because people lose their hair. I'm growing a moustache because it's about men's, men's diseases. Uh, another event that I really like is uh, the underwear affair, you know, where you do this event wearing your underwear, and it's for cancers below the waist. You know, there's a direct connection, even in a fun way, with, with what the thing's about. So my tip would be is if you were looking to create an event, make sure it has got some connection back to your story, and it's not just let's do this because it sounds cool. Yeah, exactly. 
So, um, so when did this start? When, when did you come up with the concept of the world's greatest shave? Well, it, ca- it's, it got started by a lady in, um, in Australia who uh, her best friend was diagnosed with, uh, with a blood cancer, and um, she was particularly horrified by how long and, and arduous the treatment was going to be and how her friend was going to be um, having chemotherapy for eight months and she was going to lose her hair. So she decided to shave her hair in, in, in sympathy with it. She said, well, if you're going to be bald, I'll be bald too, and then we can go through this journey together. Um, okay. The following uh, the following year, uh, our local chapter of that of the charity decided to sort of uh, promote that a bit more widely locally, uh, and then it's it's grown from there. So basically, 1998 we we started um, from the ground up. We've now got over 150,000 people uh, doing it, um, and um, it just keeps on growing, which amazes me um, in some respects uh, because the temp- one of the big issues we have with the shave is that. Um, people don't tend to do it more than once. So this makes it even more remarkable. People don't come back and shave their head year on year on year. Um, We have some people that maybe will come back a couple of years later, but really um, we don't have a lot of longevity with our people. So it's always new people who are seeing this and saying, I'm going to do that next year. So we, um, we just promote it and it's now just... People now just know the event. It's a, it's a real signature event in Australia, and it's just really well known and, and, and tends to almost promote itself. Word of mouth is very important. Um, it's quite the, a challenge to not be able to go back uh, necessarily and have the success of, mm-hmm. of having uh, people come back year after year. You almost have to create uh, a new team each year. But do donors seek out people who are willing to shave their head uh, for this event? So are donors consistent, even if those who... Are, are actually uh, being shaved or not? One, one of the big leaps we made was when we started encouraging the concept of people doing this in teams. Um, that was when we went online and um, we had the option to, um, to promote the idea of people getting together as a team. That really helped the event to grow because people who traditionally had come on individually to say, I'm going to shave my head, now could encourage other people to join them. And, and, the, and the secondary option in our event is to color your hair instead. If you're not brave enough to shave, then, then just color your hair for the day. Okay, so, so you, have, you have the option the, of, uh, of, yeah. of uh, sort of doing it a different way. Now, yeah, now, but what I'm, what I'm getting at is that... You said that you were just starting to move towards, uh, towards Facebook. Um, so uh, obviously that has not been, been up to now the biggest way that you've grown this event. Um, what has been the most successful way for you to promote this? TV advertising. Okay. Now, we, do um, you have funds for that, or are the, the folks in Australia just uh, particularly generous about your event? We made a big decision a few years ago to actually put some money into an advertising spend, uh, working on the assumption that if we went to a TV station and said we had some money, then they, we would also still play the charity card and say, look, we want, we want a great deal more than this, but we have got some money. So we weren't just going there with our begging bowl. We were going there as a client and saying, this is what we've got, but we want three times that in airtime. We found that it's worked really well going to just one station and, and getting them on board as a sort of partner in the whole thing. Um, well, talk and, more about that because that, that's a significant move for you. It's a, an expensive move for you. It sounds like it, that, it, that it paid off. Is that advice that you would give to our listeners to consider? Definitely. Um, I mean, I'm not sure how, how this model would, would, would vary in the United States, but certainly we found that if you're just trying to rely on getting free space in the press free space on TV with community service announcements, as we call them. You know, you really are just getting a few spots in the middle of the day or a couple of spots at midnight after the late-night movie or the sports finished, and that's just not going to deliver you the audience. What we found was that by going to a – we use a media buyer. We actually went to a media buyer and said, look, we've got a million dollars, and we want to spend this with a TV station, but we want $4 million worth of airtime. And so they went out on our behalf and got uh, a media, uh, a, a TV channel to, to work with us. They then engage with it. They make some other promotions as part of their own programs. We get, we get stuff in programs, like on their breakfast show and so on and so forth, so that it really does become a, across their network that they are supporting us and we're supporting them. But they'll do that because we went in with some money and we were a client to be taken seriously, not just 
another charity in the queue wanting something for nothing. Well, I think, so that's, it, I think that's significant. It's a, it's a good piece of advice to consider uh, how are you investing in your own event if you want others to make that similar kind of an uh, investment. And I know that our listeners are always looking for some sort of metric that they can um, you know, measure against. Um, would you say that it's a fair metric, this uh, uh, $1 for four, uh, you invest one, and, and it's reasonable to expect that within the marketplace there's a donation of $4? Yeah. I, I mean, that's certainly what we ask for from a TV station. Uh, and, in fact, what we've ended up with, with all the added PR and all the added exposure, is is a value of more like $12 million in terms of what we got from from the TV station once they got on board with it. So, but certainly uh, three times the amount is uh, I think is typical. Um, we found that just going to one station and saying, look, we're just going to spend with you, uh, you're, you're the exclusive guys, um, made them more generous. Uh, a, a few years ago, we used to go and spend, you know, uh, the, the three main commercial channels in um, Australia. We went to all three with a third of the money, uh, and they all kind of gave us double what we asked for. But we found that by going to one station saying, you're our exclusive channel, they kind of got more generous, and, and they certainly liked the idea that they could own it and, you know, and take some credit for its success themselves. They like to be associated with a successful campaign. Exactly, exactly. Um, we are live here with uh, Dave Sims, General Manager, Events Community Relations at the Leukemia Foundation of Australia. He's a speaker up in Toronto this week at the Artes uh, Interactive Conference. Uh, Dave, we're going to take uh, a little bit of a break, and when we come back, I would like you to uh, settle in on the advice that you might have uh, related to the use of social media uh, and mobile that is growing. Uh, we'll be right back after this break. Go ahead and uh, grab a pencil. I just want to share with you the programming notes uh, here for the Nonprofit Coach. Coming up next week here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, that's Tuesday, October 23rd, 12 noon Eastern, as always, we will have David LaGreca. David LaGreca is an expert in boards of directors and governance matters, and he will be speaking with us here on the Nonprofit Coach. We're going to uh, wind up October uh, with Amy Eisenstein, who is a major gift campaign expert. Uh, we are then going to take a little bit of a break uh, here in the United States. It probably has not gone without notice that, that we have a presidential uh, campaign coming up, so we want everybody to get out and to support your favorite uh, uh, candidate uh, and to make sure that you vote on November 6th. So that is a day we will not be live here on the Nonprofit Coach because uh, I want to make sure I've got time to support my favorite candidate. Uh, and uh, so uh, that's a great day to catch up on all the wonderful podcasts, including the top ten shows uh, that we have uh, uh, unveiled here on the Nonprofit Coach. We're going to come back on November 13th with the big international giving show. Uh, this is going to be a very significant show on how you can leverage international donors and how American donors can give internationally. Uh, next up in November, we will be here with Robert Penna. Robert Penna uh, is, uh, has the Outcomes Toolbox, and he's going to help you uh, understand and measure success uh, for your nonprofit organization. Uh, rounding out uh, November, we will be here uh, with our big National Philanthropy Day show. That's going to be November 27th. Uh, we have the winners, uh, the youth winners of the AFP's uh, International Award. Uh, so this is, uh, show is going to be about our youth and the future of philanthropy. Two terrific young philanthropists will be here on that show. Uh, in December, we're going to start off with Steve Hafner. This is always a very, very popular show. Uh, and this is about matching gifts, how you can get corporate donations to match the money that you are already raising. Uh, we will not uh, have, uh, have a show on uh, uh, December 11th, so you'll be able to take that day off again for uh, catching up on your podcast that you may have missed. And then we round out the year, our big holiday show, as always, December 18th. Uh, we always wrap up our year with our very good friend, Kay Sprinkle Grace. Uh, Kay Sprinkle Grace is all about making your year strategic uh, and successful. So this is going to be tips on making 2013 uh, successful. And Kay is always in the top ten of our shows every single year. I don't know how she does it. She is quite consistent 
uh, in being the top 10 show. So that rounds out uh, 2012. Uh, you can see we've got some big shows and a big variety of experts here on the Nonprofit Coach. We're going to head back over to page two. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. Hi, we're back here live uh, on the Nonprofit Coach. We are here uh, with Dave Sims, General Manager, Events Community Relations at the Leukemia Foundation in Australia. Uh, We do have some questions coming in, but I'm going to uh, uh, start off with uh, asking you to reflect on uh, where you're going with this event uh, vis-a-vis social media and mobile? Uh, well, mobile is not something that we've done a huge amount with yet. Um, as I said before, we take a relatively cautious approach and, and, and just try and tackle things one thing at a time and, and do them well. And we've been learning a lot about uh, what does and doesn't work on the website and what does and doesn't work with our sign-up process and, and how people are using their, um, their profile pages to promote their fundraising to their potential um, uh, sponsors. Um, and we also believe a lot in advertising and promotion and creating buzz. So I think in terms of social media, we, we definitely see that as advertising um, as well as fundraising. But I think for us at the moment, social media is very much a way for someone who's participating in the event to ask people to sponsor them. So people are asking people face-to-face, they're asking people via email, they're also asking people in their Facebook Facebook posts, and that's where some of our money is, is coming from. Um, Facebook's also a, a very big source of referrals to our website, so we're seeing it as a uh, as a way of drawing people to our to our website, but it's not a space where we're going out there as a charity telling our story and saying, "Please donate." We're not using it as a as a direct place to. It's um, a way that your donations. donors are connecting with each other, where they're inspiring yeah. each other. But uh, for you, uh, those roads lead back to your website. Yeah, we're, we're not asking for, for for cash out on Facebook. Um, and in terms of mobile, we've had an app as part of using the Artez product. There, there is an app that goes with the um, with the event. And, and again, that that is very much for people who've already signed up to participate, uh, a way for them to track their progress and a way for them to ask people for donations on, on Twitter and on Facebook and via email, or even just handing their smartphone over to someone sitting next to them um, in the pub and say, here you go, sponsor me. Um, so often when you're trying to do an event where you want people to sponsor you, they say, oh, I must sponsor you, I must give you some money. you know. And you go, well, here you go, here's my phone, press that big green button, donate to me now. Um, so, so I like that. Um, I suppose I'm, I'm still very much a believer that, that fundraising is still about people asking other people um, for, for money, and it's still very much a personal experience. And in a way, although we're using online and websites to make the whole thing um, resource-friendly and, um, and effective and simple, we still have a lot of personal contact with people. We still believe in having people on the phone calling you back to talk to you or sending you personalized messages. So we still keep the thing human. It mustn't become impersonal by using technology. Well, I think that's a, that's a very important point that, uh, that you bring up is, is you're saying – Technology is not an excuse for making things impersonal. It, it should what, it, it give you the opportunity to make it more personal, more directed towards you. Yeah. Well, if you, I mean, when we email people, we have a whole email um, sequence that we send to people during the event, from sign up to the event and beyond. And all of those emails now, we're using an email program where we can um, segment based on criteria about each person, and we can send them different elements of content in that email based on who they are, so that it makes it more personal. You've got to use that information to make it feel more personal, not more impersonal. Um, I, I, I certainly hate. That thing where you ring up somebody, uh, you know, you ring up the electricity company and it's press one for this, press two for that, press three for the other. I hate that. I certainly don't want technology that makes it impersonal. I, I think we should be using it, using all that data we collect, making sure we're only collecting data we need. And then when we've got it, make sure we use it. So if you're communicating with someone who's at school versus someone who is part of a team that wants to raise $10,000 at a, a major mining company, the, the content of those emails, the content of those phone calls has got to have a different tone and style and maybe even different fundraising tips and suggestions because it's a, it's a very different audience. 
Yeah, and I think that's, that, that is uh, significant. Now, I, I do want to jump over to, to one question, Barbara. Thank you for emailing in. Bar- Barbara is just wondering uh, if you find in Australia that there are pockets of support, uh, or is this a national event? Oh, it's it's completely national. Um, people do it all over the country, and people from all walks of life um, do this. We have school kids who donate their pocket money. We have kids doing it as a as a Friday fun uh, fun day on the Friday of the event. Um, a lot of individuals. Half the money still comes from a, an individual who um, typically raises about six hundred dollars. So it's actually quite a high. Uh, dollar per person event because it's seen as quite a sacrifice to shave your hair off. So people are very generous. Um, I think compared to a sponsored walk, for example, $600 is, is quite a high dollar per head. Uh, but you'll also get people you know, in corporate, corporate teams. Uh, big businesses will all get together and do it as a big team event. Typically, um, as I was saying before with teams, you'll get maybe one or two people shaving and they're the focus of the fun. Everyone else supports by coloring and they raise slightly less money. Um, but as a team, they raise they raise a great deal. So it certainly does cover all different segments, and we make sure we tailor our messages to those different groups of people. Now you uh, uh, you obviously have a huge event here, and it's grown over time. So this is not something that happens uh, overnight. What what advice specifically would you have for the smaller nonprofits that are listening today who are trying to to take what what has happened for your organization, and and you've been very successful in doing that. Uh, but they have uh, limited time, limited uh, audience, limited resources. Um, what do they take away from, from your event? I think being clear about what it is you do want to do, um, having, a good, having a good reason why you want to do it, um, and maybe actually being bold enough to invest in a, a serious strategy um, of, of one particular thing that you want to do. So, for example, we made the decision that we would take this event and focus on the fun aspect of it. And we weren't shy about that. You know, a lot of people might have thought, you know, it's a charity. People have got a very serious diseases. Um, a lot of people are dying from this. Um, how can you do this as a fun thing? But we decided, look, this is a fun thing. We learned from the ground up that, um, that people did this for fun as well as for serious reasons. So we sort of tapped into that. So I suppose... Um, we were listening to what people were already doing and just just building on it. But that big decision to advertise, the big decision to go online, I mean, we made the decision to, to focus on web back in 2006 was when we started, which was quite new then, I suppose. But it was to, uh, to answer a specific problem we had, which was a cash flow problem. Because this event, um, people would fundraise and then we got the money afterwards. We were actually in, in a bit of trouble just before the event happened because all our money came in afterwards. So we thought, well, how can we get some money to come in sooner? And we thought, well, if we did online, people would donate ahead of time rather than give you the money and then take it to the bank after you've shaved your head. So we then made a business case and went to our board and said, look, this is what we want to do. It's going to cost us this money. It's going to cost us these resources. But here are the results that we we want to have. And I think the other thing we've done is we've always tested everything we've done on on a smaller thing that doesn't matter so much. So once we'd got a big thing that was precious to us, which this event is, before we tried anything too bold, we would always, on one of our smaller campaigns or our smaller events, we would test the idea first, learn what worked, learn what didn't work. Um, and, and I suppose the other thing we would do is not do everything at once, You know, not dive in and say we've got to do it all and end up not doing it well. We thought it was better to do one or two things really well than try and do everything. So that would be something I would I would learn, whatever the size of your business. Well, I, one of the things I wanted to explore with you is how this affects your other events. Uh, I mean, a lot of organizations I find sort of get you know inundated with event after event after event, and they're they're going back to the same well. Um, and there's only so many things that people can support. Um, and sometimes I think that actually takes away from uh, more significant major gift support and, and traditional fundraising beyond special events. Do you find that's the case? 
That that is a that is an issue that we've got. I mean, we were very lucky. We're a very young charity. We we only started in the late 90s in many of the states of Australia, and so we kind of inherited this fabulous goose laying this golden egg for us. So while we focused on that, you're right. It's almost been at the expense of more traditional um, donors giving us money at the key times of, of the year, and that's something that we're now trying to build up um, to diversify. But, of course, we see these major events as acquisition programs. The, the whole idea of these is to entice people into our organization through the fun avenue. And then once we've got them, we can then talk to them about supporting us in other ways. So what we're trying to get more sophisticated at is, is learning how to migrate people from this to other forms of giving or other forms of supporting. It's something we're not doing a splendid job of yet, but it's, it's where we've identified we really want to, um, to, to work better at, at converting our donors. Uh, I suppose one of, the, one of the problems you can have with um, fundraising where it's a sponsored event is that often the donors will have a relationship with the participant. You know, if I'm shaving my head, you sponsor me because you want to support me. That's a step away from I support the Leukemia Foundation. I want to give directly to the Leukemia Foundation. So we're trying to tell stories now with the donors far more by, by email and, and by phone calls of saying, by sponsoring Dave, you did this great thing. Here's a chance for you to do that again. Like Dave doesn't need to shave his head again for you to support us again. So we have to move it from that indirect connection to a direct connection, and that's something that we're, we're trying to get better at. And, and I think that's a common uh, concern or issue that a lot of organizations uh, face. What, what, where are you going for that solution, or do, do you think that 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 is a decision that charities overall have to make, uh, and that is that there is not a, a, a possibility for most organizations to devote the kind of resources it takes to be successful in major gifts and special events all at the same time. Yeah, well, it, it's a problem that we have. We're trying to make sure that we tell a better story of how we've spent your money when you sponsor someone. So in all of our messaging, all of our emails, we're then following that up with, with letters, um, talking about how we've used the money that you gave to sponsor somebody so that we can then um, continue to tell that story and, and then have additional asks um, for funds later on outside of the event. So we're doing it with... Um, with better written emails. We're making sure there's lots of more content on our website about how we've spent the money. We decided we needed to tell people that a lot sooner than we, than we have been, so straight away, as soon as you sponsor me, um, you're getting an email saying, thanks for sponsoring Dave. This is what we're already going to be doing with the money. This is helping families like Cathy's, and we're, we're telling a really human story right from the word go, and we're, we're not being scared to follow up a bit more uh, with the with the donors with the with the sponsors, uh, and what sort of success are you having with that uh, with that message? Is are you seeing signs that you are bridging uh, those folks from being special event donors to a specific person for a specific reason uh, to becoming general uh, supporters of your organization? We are getting some success. Yes. Um, it, it's still very early days, and we're not doing a, a full measurement of it. We've only really started uh, doing this in a, in a considered and organized way in the last 12 months, so now is about the time where I want to start looking at it. But we're certainly getting some. I, I've been quite surprised at how people who are responsive to that conversion actually go right into being monthly um, regular givers. Um, rather than just doing a one-off gift, they're kind of if they're going to respond at all, they're kind of going, yeah, well, I'll do it, and I'll do I'll do ten bucks a month. That's fine, and they become a, a regular monthly donor. So we're quite pleased with with that sort of um, response. And what about uh, evaluating the uh, likelihood? In, in other words, finding among uh, those ten dollar, twenty five dollar donors those who might have more significant wealth uh, to jump into your campaign. Well, that's um, that's something that we are um, doing more work in, perhaps more with traditional um, direct mail. We're trying to uh, segment these donors into the amount of, uh, of gift that they that they gave as a as a sponsorship, and then we're trying to do slightly different messages based on the amount of money they've um, given. I, I think, to be honest, Ted, it's, it's it's early days for me to say how well we're um, we're achieving that, but um, I, I suppose. 
typically in our events, you know, there aren't people who are giving huge um, dollars. Um, there are some. We get a few people giving in the in the hundreds. We've got corporates who are giving dollar matching. That's a significant thing that we're trying to tap into more. You know, where the staff put a team in, and for whatever the staff raise, the company agrees to match what the what the staff raise. We're certainly using those leads as a way of going to those businesses to try and talk about broader support, um, event sponsorship, and um, and other ongoing donations. Okay, but, you know, so, in terms of so do you find uh, success in the corporate realm uh, more than the individual? Well, it's it, we're getting a bit in, in both. I mean, the corporate is there in theory, and they're, they're keen and eager to talk to us, but... Um, um, obviously, economically at the moment, um, it's quite difficult for a lot of corporates to, to do a lot more. They quite like dollar matching what the staff raise because in the current economic climate, it's a safe way to continue to show philanthropic support um, with, the, with the backing of the staff. Uh, I think we're finding in Australia at the moment that trying to go to corporates for sponsorship or major donations is proving difficult because in the current economic climate, if times are bad or they're, or they're having to lay people off or make redundancies or cut back the workforce, they don't want to be seen to be spending money on anything that is non-essential. So giving a straight donation or a corporate sponsorship is proving very tricky for us in Australia at the moment. But, but supporting what the staff already endorse is kind of a, a safe way, a, a way you're not going to get criticized for doing some support. Uh, very good. Uh uh, very good point. Uh, as we're uh, we're sadly uh, getting to the end uh, of the uh, of the show here, um, I want to uh, make sure that you have opportunity to um, share with uh, our our speakers in uh, some specificity the tools that you have found to be most successful um, over time. Have they changed, uh, or is it the, the sort of the traditional approach that you had from the beginning, plus the TV advertising that you've already spoken about? Um, has really been, in your estimation, the key to success. Yeah, I, I think some of our keys to success have been that we haven't just expected online to do the whole job for us. We, we've grown from getting about 20% of our money online to now about 55% of our money online. But that still means that 45% of our money, some you know some eight million bucks, is still coming in by people being mailed a kit, uh, asking people for cash taking that to the bank and that being banked the traditional way. So I certainly would say don't, don't let go of all your offline um, strategies as well because the two need, need to work um, side by side. I think the other thing that's worked for us is using data that we collect to make sure that we then service people um, correctly uh, and that we're doing that communication that is tailored. So we only ask for stuff we need to know. We've tried to cut back the process as much as we can. People are always telling us that they want our sign-up and donate process to be really short and really simple and really quick. So we've actually taken stuff out of our website processes that we used to have in there to just try and really reduce the number of questions we ask up front. Then once we get that information, we make sure we use it. So we make phone calls, we pay visits to people, we send them different kits based on what they've told us. So I think that has really made a, a huge difference. And, we, and we've kept it personal. We still make sure that we talk to people and that we don't just become this sort of automated online experience. It's still got to be personal. So listening to your donors, understanding uh, your your uh, your donors is a key to being able to grow uh, the base for support. Absolutely, absolutely knowing so, what they want. So what comes next? What what uh, what happens next for this event and uh, for your organization? Well, I think one thing we are getting is we are getting some people who are very web and uh, web savvy who are saying that they don't want to be getting a kit in the mail and they don't want to be getting traditional stuff. So for us, the, for the first time next year, we're going to actually offer people the chance to opt out of getting a, a fundraising kit in the mail. I'm very nervous about this because I still think getting a, a physical thing uh, still makes the thing real for people. I, it just worries me about the whole thing being an online thing. But we're thinking of offering that as an opt-out thing to people and giving them a, a more comprehensive mobile app so that they are kind of getting all the kits that we want them to get, but in an online way. And I think web-savvy people will, will, will have that, but will still have the traditional stuff for, for, the traditional, um, for the traditional people. So that's one direction we're going in uh, with. And, and up to now, we also haven't done a mobile-optimized version of our website. 
we haven't had the resources or the um, or the budget to do that. So if you look at our website on a on a mobile device, it's just the same website. Um, so I think we are going to optimize the website. Uh, we're not going to do a separate website for it. We're going to make sure we design our current website in a way that looks okay on a mobile phone. I don't want to have two separate websites to maintain. I well, I'd say it's them. a big branding issue. Uh, yeah. Just looking at uh, the last uh, minute or so here on the show, uh, how can uh, our listeners today, if they wanted to reach out to you, now we have provided uh, a link to the Leukemia uh, uh, Group in Australia and the Big Shave uh, website. Uh, at <laughs> how can they reach out to you? Um, they can um, they can reach out to me at my um, my email address, which is dsims at leukemia.org.au, or or just go to that uh, World's Greatest Shave website. There's a contact form on there, and uh, send a message through there, and that will get to me too. And that will get to you as well. We do have yeah. a link to the World's Greatest Shave over at tedhart.com. It's my pleasure uh, to uh, thank Dave Sims for being our guest here on the Nonprofit Coach. Thanks, Ted. And don't forget, next week we will be right here live on the Nonprofit Coach, October 23rd, 12 noon Eastern, with David LaGreca, a national expert in board and governance matters. That is the Nonprofit Coach for today. We will catch you next week. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach. With Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.